Hello and welcome back to the second episode of The Goodish Show. Today is a very special episode. We're going to talk about how to build a successful SaaS company in 2021 with actionable practical tips for success that you can implement for growing your brand and company today. Um, so we're joined by Dan Daniels. He is the CEO and founder of American Credit System and iSoftPool, as well as the CEO um, and founder of The Goodish Agency. Franzi Bachar, and myself, I'm the community manager and SEO expert at The Goodish Agency. Welcome to The Goodish Show, the show on SaaS marketing, from actionable tips and tricks to insightful interviews with industry leaders. Unfortunately, we experienced some technical issues during our live session with Dan. Um, so this episode starts a few minutes late into our conversation. But as Dan said earlier, these small pivoting moments are all a part of starting a company. Um, so let's get back into it. Um, just the, the struggles that you were experiencing at the beginning. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about, you know, running out of money and, and getting past that and then finally getting past that and, and having some stable income and then having investors wanting to throw money at you, you know? And you go from this position of being really broke to having some money, you know, just getting by and now no more. Uh, there was a time, you know, when you got to look in your bank account and wonder like, can I, can I swipe my debit card and buy a burrito? I just didn't, we really had no money. And you go from that to having some money, to having residual money, to having, funds wanting to throw money at you and i don't think it was really like them throwing it at us like to the extent that like we really want in we really want in we really want in but it was offered it to us we have a term sheet in front of us ready to sign and and we said no because i'd rather live the lifestyle of an entrepreneur and be the dictator of my own success versus having somebody tell me what I can and can't do with my company. That's why I left Morgan Stanley in the beginning was I didn't want a boss. I didn't want anybody to tell me what I could do, what time to show up, if I could draw a bigger salary or not. I wanted to be the dictator of my own success. So that's why we turned down the money. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, kind of, a lot of successful entrepreneurs find themselves in a very similar position where finally uh, the company's starting to build up and starting to, to work well. And then you're, yeah, you're, you're facing a decision, quite a big decision of how you want to continue running your company um, or rather maybe selling the company. Um, but as you were saying, um, your dream was always to be an entrepreneur. So it made sense for you, I guess, at that time to, to choose your own path rather than following certain guidelines. Yeah. And we're certainly glad we did. It was the right decision for us. We made the right choice. And now that the company's bigger and has a steady flow of income, you can really, the business no longer owns me. I own the business. The, there comes a shift in point where you have to work in the business in order to make the business go. But now I spend most of my time working on the business and growing the business. And if I, you know, if I want to, I have a, I have a one-year-old at home now. And if I want to just stay home with him, I can. And the business will, will still run. It's a machine. It, it goes. So, and it, it's really cool. We can provide jobs for people and provide opportunities for people in the community and friends that, that want jobs and want opportunity. It goes to that extent where you can actually help your community and provide jobs, which is really cool too. Absolutely. Um, do you think there were certain like personal characteristics that helped you towards your success? Um, probably a lack of fear. 
whether it was uh, good or bad, right? I wanted this so bad that I burned the bridges and uh, I went in a hundred percent. I know a lot of people have side hustles on the side or they're, you know, they're working their nine to five and they're trying to grow their business on the side, right? That was never successful for me. If I was ever asked to be an investor in a company where somebody was doing their company on the side, I probably wouldn't go in on it because it, it really takes all day, every day, every day in order to get a business off the ground. I remember specifically one time in, in 2017, it was like a Sunday afternoon and we were driving down the street and I was taking phone calls with my wife and my kid in the car. And it was a Sunday and she's a teacher. She has weekends off and summers off, you know, and holidays. She asked me something extended, like, when are you going to take a day off? And my response was, I'll take a day off when I can completely provide for my family and, and send my kid to college on my own business, right? Until then, I won't. And, and then she got it. She understood that all these long hours working at midnight talking to Francie in Europe, right? He's on the other side of the world. And uh, it's midnight my time. It's morning his time. And we're working around the clock. And there's such determination. I think an entrepreneur has to have determination, fearless, obsessive, a compulsive desire to get it off the ground. It can't just be a want. It's got to be a fire from inside. I think. So do you think that like this, what you just mentioned, so we are working around the clock. So you are working when I'm sleep, sleeping and I'm working when you're sleeping. What would you say that are other characteristic characteristics when you're working with uh, companies uh, from Europe or from other parts of the world? I actually really like it because I can work all day and then I can talk to you at night and then be like, all right, in order for me to complete this task, I need this done and I can go to sleep and then it'll be done, right? Where if I wasn't working with somebody in Europe, if I was working here, I would work, you know, until 11 o'clock at night and then I have to wake up at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, get the kids off to school and then I have to start where I left off. But having somebody kind of, it's like a relay race almost. And the race never, never ends, right? It's like, I'm carrying the baton. All right, I pass the baton. And I go to bed and you're carrying the baton. I wake up and we're further ahead. That's one of the benefits of working with some, with a team offshore, so to speak, or on the other side of the world. You can run the race faster, I think. I, I, I once asked, asked you if you can describe us in, in like few words and you said, fucking Europeans. Uh, and I'm, I'm just- <laughs> I said that? Oh man. And I'm just interested if if there are any stereotypes or you know how do you how do businessmen or businesses in in US how how do you look at uh, European businesses or you know businesses from other parts? I mean, we honestly have no idea. To be honest, we have whatever is made up in our own minds. I know any conceptions that we have is just a figment of our imagination, right? It wasn't it wasn't rooted in any context or any anything material whatever you see on tv or whatever you you know so i guess that's the ugly american in us that we judge other countries but i probably said it jokingly francie yeah i know thanks, I know. <laughs> thanks for putting it on blast i appreciate it so yeah should we go um talk about should we discuss like how to start up says business um where does one even start what would you say are the pillars to building a SaaS company? Yeah, so I think one of the first things you gotta do is establish um, a business. You gotta, be, you gotta get legit. You gotta get a bank account, 
not your personal bank account. When you make the decision to go ahead, you, you got to go ahead. That's what I'm talking about. You can't half-ass it. You can't do it on the side. Like you got to go legit. Even my wife, she started a little Etsy business. You know, she got a DBA. She got her own bank account for her business. Like you got to get the structure set up first. I think that's the first and foremost. And then pick a niche. I think you definitely got to pick a niche. Don't try to go after everything. Go after one thing and be good at it. But sometimes forcing it isn't the best thing either. I was talking to my friend Dustin this morning on the phone and we were talking about how if we have a theory of what's going to work, you need to fail. Like if it's not working, it's not working. Move to the next thing. Uh, Stay in the lane. Yeah, but find what doesn't work. And I think that has a lot to do with marketing. The faster we can find what doesn't work, the, the faster we can get to what works. So you have to find what doesn't work. And when you find something that doesn't work, it's actually a success because you're narrowing the playing field. You're getting to where you want to go. I was watching a video of Will Smith. He's talking about failing and failing fast and why, why failing is why failing is good. And he related it to muscles. When people go work out at the gym, the point is to work out until your muscles fail, until you lift weights, until you can't lift weights anymore. And then when your muscles fail, they grow and they rebuild stronger, right? So if you're not failing, if you're not failing, you're not bringing yourself to the point where you can grow. Can you give us an example of that kind of fail on your journey? So when we failed at something, but we actually learned a lot. Sure. You could say Facebook awareness versus Google search, I think. Uh, For us, uh, you know, you talk about intent marketing and and let's let's assume that you only have $10,000. Let's assume you only have $1,000 a month to spend on marketing or 500 or whatever it is. You got to have some kind of marketing budget. But where are you going to put that money? is very important. So you could put it on Facebook, but but the people on Facebook, they're not actively searching for your product. They're just going to, going by looking at fail army and crashes and posts from their mom. And we spent a lot of money on, on trying to figure out Facebook awareness. But what we learned was that people are actively searching on Google for our products. So we could take that same amount of money that we put on Facebook and put it on Google. And just because of the platform, you're going to get more acquisition on Google for us because there was enough people searching for our product. We didn't really need to create the awareness. There was already people searching, but I think that was actually after we created the awareness, to be honest with you. I think we pioneered this industry. There was no awareness. Nobody was searching for our product four years ago. I think we created the awareness on Facebook. So I don't know. Yeah, because I remember when we started to invest, started to invest in Facebook because we couldn't spend the money on Google. Because we couldn't spend the money on Google right? Yeah. So yeah. there wasn't enough searches for our, for our product, but now it's like, there's a lot of searches for our product, which is cool. Other failures, um, hiring the right people. I hired all my friends and you go, Oh shit, that's probably not the best idea. But for us, it was, I also hired people that off of zip recruiter, like just some like advertisement platform. And the only people that are here with me right now are my friends. And so there's certain trust that you got to have with people. I mean, particularly in today's age, when you're talking about like all these lawsuits and COVID and reopening plans, and you got to go home, you got to come home and you got to work from home. Now you got to work from the office. Like you got to be able to communicate and trust your employees versus if you just hire somebody off the street, who's not dedicated to you, you know, nothing about their personality, their lifestyle. Are they the type of person that'll sue somebody? Are they not? You don't know what you're getting when you hire somebody off the street versus when you hire your friend, at least 
you know their defaults, you know their character flaws, but at least you know them. So hiring friends versus hiring not friends. I, for a small startup, I think you hire friends. But is there a, mo a moment when you have to move on? That's the hardest thing is firing a friend, which I've had to do. And, and learning to become a manager too. An entrepreneur is not a manager. They're, they're not. Um, I, can, I can't do the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm, I'm a ADD to the core. I got, I'm doing this. I'm doing Facebook. I'm doing software development. And I'm hiring people. I'm on the phone selling. I'm, I don't have the, the skill set to manage. And it's really hard to, to fire a friend. But at some point, you got to do it. It's painful, but you got to. Um, what would you say were some of the, like, the biggest like, obstacles or opportunities that you've experienced like, on your journey? Or what was maybe just down to pure luck? I'm sure it was luck, but you got to be in the game to get lucky. Like I said, this is my 15th business, maybe my 20th business. Like You're bound to get lucky if you keep doing it. So there is some luck involved, but if you're not in the game and you're not swinging the bat, if you're not taking shots, there is no luck to be had, right? So is it lucky or, yeah. I find that the harder I work, the more lucky I get. So is it luck or is it intuition or database decisions? Or, you know, how, how do you choose between when to trust yourself, your gut feeling, or when to rely on, on dashboards? Yeah, right. Um, I go with my intuition mostly, and I look at data as a guide. Or, or I, might, I might say that data confirms my intuition. I'll be like, this is not working. And then I look at the data and I'll go, yeah, it's not working. Thank you for showing me that. I already knew it wasn't working. But like when it comes to dollars and cents, then you have to look at the data. What's the cost per lead on Google versus the cost per lead on Facebook? Well, I can look at it and be like, man, we're getting a lot of leads on Facebook, tons of leads. I mean, we're getting 50 leads, you know, 500 leads a month. But then, and you think it's hot, you think it's good. The data says good. Yeah, lots of leads, lots of leads, but then they're bad leads, right? Or they're not the right type of leads. You look at the data, the data can say, all right, cost per lead on Facebook is much cheaper than the cost per lead on Google, but the Google leads are actually more quality than the Facebook leads. So you have to ask yourself the question, where do you put your money? Do you put your money on the cheaper leads that maybe one out of 10 close or the Google leads that close more, but they're more expensive, right? So then you kind of got to go with your intuition and I'm going to go with Google. I think intuition's big. I think you got to know your company. You got to know everything about it. I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm an intuition guy. You know that, Francie. Yeah, I know. At the moment, I would say there is a lot of things. Um, I mean, technology goes on and we can measure all kinds of things and we are collecting the data, CRM. So everything is in the CRM. And then we take a look at the CRM and then the Google Analytics and Facebook Pixel and, and you know, get all this data together in the reports. But um, I think... How, how you were actually different from, from, from other businesses is that you always were able to combine these online tactics uh, based on triggers and leads with some like real world, uh, real world um, I would say traditional marketing channels like call center. And that was always really interesting to me how like we are doing something on the web, but then the, the final steps uh, or are actually this uh, personalized uh, I would say personalized touch. So your call guy calls someone and sell him on the phone because it's, it's, I would say not popular strategy and it's, it's hard to scale, but for this, I would, my theory. So for these first steps, maybe it's not that much about scaling, but it's more about, you know, providing um, a great user experience. And then recently we were starting. To, so only recently we were starting to think how we will automate, automate this 
calls so these second steps maybe if you can share some thoughts on this yeah so that's a that's a good segue like how i got into digital so when i graduated high school i was a salesman all the way up until i mean forever i was a salesman i'm a salesman get get them on the phone call people call make 200 dials a day and then i always had this intuition in me in the early 2010s maybe 2012 2014 2015 people are making money online like people are selling shit online man and it can't be that hard i buy stuff on amazon all the time so I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to learn Google ads. So then I hung this Google ad. I, I watched like a podcast similar to this. And it was like a how to do a Google ad. And I hung my ad and I put my little thing up and I got a lead. And I was like, holy shit. Like this email of this phone number requested information and it was emailed to me. And I called him up. I said, this is Dan with ACS. How can I help you? <laughs> That's pretty much how it happened. Right. And he actually, and he wanted to buy the product. I was like, holy shit. And then I talked to my partner. I was like, dude, we are no longer going to make cold calls. There will be a day when we don't make cold calls anymore. And that we have so many leads coming in that we won't make cold calls. And that's when I hired you. I was like, all right, Francie. I think in the beginning, I didn't even hire you to do it for me. I think I paid you to teach me. And we did it together, right? And it was like hands-on. It was like, I don't know what you're trying. I think you, it was before you had Goodish Agency when you were just a one-man shop. And we worked together, just me and you, and you taught me how to do it. And then before long, now we got, I mean, as much money as I want to spend, there's leads out there for me. We haven't made a cold call in a long time, a long time. Um, unless I get pissed off at the employees. I go, all right, time to cold call, guys. And then they're cold called. Nice. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> digital turned out to be a, a nice opportunity in the new millennium. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the best place to be. I think if you're not, if if I was to start a business from scratch again, say I lost my business, lost everything, had nothing, where would I start? I still wouldn't go get a job. I would, I would learn digital. I would learn digital until I, until I got that business up and going, and then I would pay somebody else to do it. So I, I would like to ask you how how do you decide? <clears throat> when you automate things. So maybe I was not that clear before, but at the beginning of the business, I remember you did a lot of things manually. So you, you were calling, um, cold calling, and then there were more calls and, and live kind of webinars with the persons. And then uh, you also visit every, visited everyone and you know did some, place, so, some things in the place. And now step by step, we are automa automating everything. So when do you decide that certain process is ready for automation. That's, that's a great point. I think that you, at first for me, it was all, um, it was all manual. And the first thing I automated was the lead generation. Then what I want to do is just step-by-step step do it. And don't, I think the key thing here is to not break or replace what's already working, but you have to test the new automation until it works good enough to replace the original mechanism, right? So if, if we're cold calling to get leads, we're not just going to stop cold calling until there's enough leads coming in where we don't have to cold call. And then the next step is to automate the demo. And so we're going to keep doing demos until 
we can automate the demo and it's proven that we can automate the demo. I mean, I would love to automate the whole damn thing. I was actually having a conversation with my partner, Justin, and I was like, you know, I'd like to automate everything, everything. I mean, just replace it. And we went back and forth on it. He like he likes the atmosphere. He likes the hiring the guys and having the sales pit and the camaraderie of the business. I'm on the other side. I want to automate everything. We'll, we'll create another job for him. Let's figure out how to do it faster, cheaper, more effectively, make more money um, and serve the clients better. Right. And I think you can do most of it through automation, but some of it, you can't replace a human with a machine for particularly for customer service. The worst thing that I hate is when I get a trial from a business and I call or I can't, I go on the website and try to call them and there's no phone number. It's like, I need to talk to somebody. So I relate to that too. So um, how do you know when to automate versus when to put a person in? I think the first thing is if you can rep replicate it by automation, then do it. Don't do it until you can replicate it with automation, but always have a call center. I think from as a consumer, at least for me, I like, if I can't figure this out, I want to call somebody and figure it out right now. I don't want to schedule a time tomorrow or schedule it. I don't want to click your Calendly and find out when the fucking best time for you is. I just want to call you right now. Let's figure this out. I'm working on this now. I got to figure this out now. I'm dead in the water until I figure this out. If I have to Calendly you and do it in three days, then I'm going to be dead in the water for three days. I'm just going to find another service provider that'll fucking figure it out now. Yes. Yeah, so if, if you are a software service company working with clients and, and customer support is at highest importance. 24 hours a day, almost all the time. I respond to emails all the time, day and night leads day and night. Um, one of our core pillars here is that when somebody requests information, they get a phone call within five minutes. When the lead comes in, they get a phone call right away, right away. Because if you look at a sales journey, anything you want to buy, people are more impulsive. People want to buy it now. And the further you get away from that first touch, the less interested they are, right? So you need to respond to the lead now, whether that's through automation or through a phone call or through an email. It's got to be now. Um, if you don't mind me asking, um, I thought it was quite interesting how like you started saying how now it's much easier to automate the beginning. So just the, the in, getting the inbound leads rather than doing the outbound calls. Um, but what about like that final, like closing, the point of closing? What about like when you reach that point um, before traditionally you would do demos or you would do calls with a customer, potential customer? Um, versus now where you could literally make a demo, make, make a video and just kind of have that video to be, um, like a tutorial on how to use the software. So where do you see the bigger possibilities or opportunities, um, to, would you automate this final step or would you still leave some personalization in that final closing argument? If I could automate it, I'd automate it. Um, Mine's a pretty complicated product and some of our clients pay, you know, $40,000 a month. So the, the guy who's going to pay $40,000 a month probably isn't going to sign up online. They need to talk to somebody, right? 
some publicly traded companies or guys that are, you know, they're about to roll this program out to 50 employees. They need handholding. They need, a, they need a person to talk to. They need to, they need to know that your company is secure. I mean, that's another big thing too. So we work with banks and financial institutions, right? So trust is a big factor. So if our software gets hacked, if our customers are using our software and putting their customers' information into our software and our software gets hacked, that exposes our customer, right? So our customers want to vet us to make sure that our security is in place. So when you're dealing with sensitive topics like what we do, the big vendors out there want to talk to you. And so you, you really can't automate that. You have to have somebody. But if you're selling to an entrepreneur or, a, you know, I've never talked with somebody on, on Zoom. I've never talked to Zoom support, right? Um, you probably don't need to. But if you're trying to take down a, a bank or, you know, some big institution, you probably need to. So, so personal uh, automation, personalization only for big fishes. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, I guess um, at the end of, of this uh, conversation, I would like to ask you a little bit more, um, let's say, personal question. So I know that um, uh, you mentioned several times in this podcast that you're working a lot, a lot answering emails all the time. Uh, and so on. But I also know you like to play golf. You like to have a cigar. Um, how, 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 as an entrepreneur working 24/7, how do you maintain this uh, family uh, time off work balance? And how much this off time do you need? Uh, everyone needs uh, so in order that someone doesn't just uh, you know have too much on his mind. If you ask my wife, she'll say that I work all the time. Because even when I'm having a cigar, I'm answering an email. Even when I'm on the golf course, I'm typically on the golf course with... Skype with me, huh? Yeah. Dude, I work all the time. From 6 a.m. till midnight. Seven days a week. All the time. So, do I take time off and golf? Like, last weekend, I went snowboarding. It was the... Uh, I took my son and, and, a, and a family. We went up to the mountains and we went snowboarding. And it was the first weekend probably since I got married years ago that I've literally like not checked my email, right? I'm always working. There is no off, dude. There's no off. Um, so you got to figure out a way to answer your email while you're on your bike or something. Um, I don't know. That's just me. There's no work-life balance. It's fucking work. It just won't. I think, I, I think a lot of people look, being an entrepreneur is not for everybody, man. It's not. I wish I could have the other mindset of, of my wife where I'm going to go to work from eight to four. And I'm going to leave work at work. I'm going to go home and I got my family and then I'll come back tomorrow morning and I'll work again. I think there, there's some like brilliance in that, you know, versus me, where all I do is work all the time. Even when I'm fucking going to sleep, I'm listening to a podcast about digital marketing, like literally with my headphones on in bed. I don't think it's something you can teach. I think you're born like you're born. You're either an athlete or you're not an athlete. Either you have a desire or you don't. I don't know that something that can be taught. 
Well, I'm um, personally, I, I like to have some time off in, in contrast to you. So usually I don't, for example, I don't check um, emails on Sundays. Sundays is the day of the week I take, I take off. I don't check. Oh, I know. I know. I know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I mean, I just feel like I need some time, you know, a few hours, at least um, a day, a day in a week to to clear everything off. Um, but I think this is also how the culture here is different than to US, because I know I also see from other clients that in US, you literally think that if you won't answer an email in one hour or something, you know, the world will fall apart. Like when in Europe, it's, you know, if it's an email, it can be answered tomorrow. If it, it yeah. would be urgent, then you would probably call me. Yeah. Um, I don't know you. why that is. Yeah, I, it's definitely a cultural difference. I think I think Mexico is kind of the same way. Like, uh, or in Spain, you're in, Maya, you're in Spain. Don't you, do you guys have siestas or like midday naps? <laughs> the, uh, traditional still, we still do, yeah. They would take like, still, yeah. Yeah, or, like. We finish at 3 p.m. Like every Spanish company on Friday at 3 p.m. they're done for the weekend. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I'm working when the competition is sleeping. And maybe one day I'll sell and go to the beach and, and not work in business, huh? And start another business. My friend Chris was actually talking to me about that. It's like, so what do you do in your spare time? Fucking start other businesses. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, what's your hobbies, Dan? starting other businesses i i i like it's it's not work it's fun so do you have any tips for young entrepreneurs that are like starting their journeys um wanting to build SaaS company i would say learn to build a website you need to learn adobe you need to you need you need to learn adobe the whole suite and you need to learn either wordpress or wix because when you're building a company for the first time, you don't have any money, right? You got no money. Maybe you got a couple bucks, but a logo is going to cost you 300 bucks. A website's going to cost you 2000 bucks. You know, you want to update the website. It's going to cost you 500 bucks. You need this foundation of, of skill set to build your business. And in today's world, you need to learn how to do it all yourself. You need to be able to do it yourself. Um, and then you'll hire somebody else to do it. Maybe at two years ago, Francie, you asked me at the end of the year when you guys were doing an inventory on your business. So why do we hire Goodish, right? Because I don't have time to do it, right? I can do it, right? But when you get to the point of a business, you need to outsource, you need to leverage, you need to hire, you need to hire other people to do it. But I could never have got to that spot. I don't think I could have ever built this business if I didn't know the fundamentals of marketing how to set up MailChimp, how to set up a CRM, how to set up a website, how to buy a domain name, set up the MX records in an email, right? You got to know how to install a pixel. You got to be able to know how to set up the business yourself and, and work with a team. And when you get big enough, then you work with a team to hire them to do it. Yeah. So that's, that would be my, my one major uh, point to any entrepreneur is know how to do it yourself. Know how to build the website yourself. That's where I would start. Yeah, I think I think I think that's great, and, and I think that that nicely wraps up everything. Um, then I would really like to thank you because you take your time. 
I know you're a busy man. Um, I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, of course. And if I give any recommend, if anybody's watching this, any business owners doing a million bucks a year, my recommendation would be to reach out to Franchi, Francie and Goodest Agency and really engage them because um, yes, I can market. Yes, I can do Google. Yes, I can do the analytics and the Facebook and the YouTube. And yes, I can build a website, but you don't have the time of the day to do it, right? And so you need to rely on a company that can do it for you and that you can trust them. And I trust Francie with my business, with all my marketing and Goodest Agency does web development, analytics, CRMs, phone room integration, chat. Uh, they're full, fully outsourced agency for all your technical needs. So build, when building a company, it's more than just hiring an agency to run your Facebook ads. If you hire an agency just to do Facebook ads, they're gonna fail because it has to do with your email, your Facebook, your website, your CRM, analytics. I mean, logos, videos, images, blogs, it's, an arch, it's a digital architecture. And uh, and I put my trust in, in Goodish and you guys should too, I think. So that's my thanks. case for you. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for everyone that joined the conversation. Um, and yeah, do get in touch if you have any further questions. Um, we'll, we'll continue to do other webinars. Uh, we'll talk about Google Analytics 4 soon, about the new iOS 14 update and the new privacy clauses. So yeah, keep tuned um, and we'll keep uh, interesting content coming your way. Bye. Bye. See you.